So now I want to welcome Van on up. Morning, everyone. Thank you. Hey, I don't have any jokes today, but I have a story to tell you. The story is going to be better than any jokes, all right? Uh, you know, the last two weeks, Lori and I have been gone. L- last weekend, we uh, were at Lavinia, Cincinnati, which is in Price Hill. Yes, uh, Deanna right there worked there for a number of years in their children's ministry. It's a church that we planted out of this church. And uh, it's just a great church and uh, it's really, really doing well. And Lori and I got to visit them last Sunday and I got to speak there. So that was real exciting. But um, I mean, it really is exciting. They're doing things really in a, in a very high class way. High class is not the right word, but they're, they're really doing things right. And uh, they're growing and, and have a good core of leaders. And so we're excited about, about being there with them. But the week before that, Lori and I went to visit our son, daughter-in-law, and two uh, really precious grandchildren in North Carolina, and we couldn't leave until Saturday night. And uh, so we decided that we're going to stop and stay, drive three, four hours, and spend the night, and then get up the next morning would, would make the rest of the trip. And so we were looking at hotels about three and a half hours away from here. And Lori found a couple of them in a little community called Point Pleasant, West Virginia. It's just across the Ohio, uh, just across the Ohio River in, in West Virginia. And one of them was like a comfort suites, but it was a couple miles out of our way. But there was another one called the Low Hotel. And it was right in Point Pleasant, which is a small town right on the river. And so we're thinking, well, okay, this might be a quaint little hotel. It might just be this wonderful experience. And, and, and why don't we stay there? So we decided to stay there. So we pull in about 11 o'clock at night. The street is empty. I mean, you get out of the car and you could have laid down on the street and taken a nap. And, and you would have been okay. And actually, I read on a website someone else describing their experience at the low. And they said the same thing. They said the street was just deserted. It really felt weird. And so you walk up to the, to the front of the hotel. And uh, by the way, the, it was built in 1901. So it gives you some idea of the era. But it's still decorated like it was the 1950s. And it's really nice. You look in, it's all glass. But we, we looked in and it was all lit up. And there was a guy sitting in there at a table, just a little, little um, like cafe table, just with his arm on the table, just staring at us. He didn't like nod at us or wave or anything. He's just staring. And we walked in and he just continued to look at us. But when we get into the lobby, there are other people there and there are little kids there. And it just seemed odd to us. And the whole thing feels like it's 19, probably 45 decor wise. And so we're checking in, and um, I noticed a postcard on the wall of an actor who had been in a movie called The Mothman Prophecies. Okay, so this is a legend. It's a spooky, scary legend about this thing called The Mothman. They made a movie about it. And so I said, now that happened in Catanning, Pennsylvania, didn't it? Because I'm, I'm from close to Catanning. And she said, no, she said they filmed it there, but it happened here. This is the time where, where the Mothman prophecy occurred. And so, okay, well, that's a little weird, but that's okay. And so, I mean, we're here. We're not going to go anyplace else. We needed to sleep. 
And so we get into this uh, elevator where you can hear the electricity buzzing through the whole thing. It kind of like shifts back and forth a little and a little bit rickety. But we go up to the third floor and you get out. And it's, it's nicely laid out for 1950. It, it just feels like that. And, and there's a long hallway with rooms everywhere. And the funny thing was, Lori called earlier in the day and said, do you have a room? And they said, yes. She called later, do you have a room? They said, no. She said, well, earlier you said yes. And now you're saying no. And she said, yes. Okay, so we do have a room for you. And so it was just weird. But at any rate, walked down one long hall, down another long hall, down a third long hall to our room. And so, <clears throat> by the way, they had told us that if we wanted to stay in the um, updated section, we'd have to have two um, regular beds. If we wanted a king-size bed, that, those were in the unrenovated section, the old section. And so we go through this door... And the first thing when I walked in the room, I just said, in Jesus' name, anything that's here, get out right now. You know, we rented this room. Jesus gave it to us. It is ours tonight. and You cannot stay here. So get out. I don't care what's happened here. I don't care what hold you think you have on the room. You can't stay. The light of Jesus fill this room. And Lori's doing the same thing you're doing. She's laughing, but I'm dead serious, man. I'm dead serious about this. <clears throat> and so then we start saying, we start laughing and saying, if this is the renovated section, what's the old section like? <laughs> and we're laughing about that. And then I said, you know, they might be listening to us right now, deciding if they're going to kill us in our sleep. <laughs> it just had that feel to it, you know. So maybe we better say some nice things about this place. So I decided to go back and make sure the, the room door was locked. And because there were two rooms and I'm walking out of the, the second room back through in the bed. I had to I had to walk right past the wall to get to the door because of the bed. And as I'm walking like the doors right there and the walls right here, I get about this far and the walls right here. And I look up and there is this big picture of a horrid, horrid wo- woman's face. Um, I, I would say like a hag, but not. She was dressed nicely. It was just like the kind of woman you would see in an axe murderer movie or in, you know, something. And it was like, it was, she's looking at you like she's just cursing you. And I'm thinking, well, why on earth would any hotel put a picture like that up on the wall? And so I just took the picture off, turned it around, put it on the floor and leaned it so you couldn't see it. I thought about taking a picture of it. Because I didn't think anyone would really believe me how awful it was. But then I thought, well, I don't want that picture. I don't want it in my phone even. And so then on the wall adjoining it is a death certificate. And it's big. And it's like, you know, our beloved so-and-so, our beloved this, that, and the other thing. And then the name of the person handwritten in. And then the date. And I thought, you know, that looks like something in some cultures of our nation, maybe West Virginia... Back in the 40s or 50s, they would have done. You know, you, as a memorial to your beloved one, you'd have their, a, a copy of their death certificate on the wall. And so at any rate, um, we, we, we're staying, and uh, we go to bed, and it takes us a couple hours to get to sleep. <clears throat> Didn't re- now, I, I did this thing that Lori would say if she was up here, so I'll say it on your behalf, okay? I put a chair by the front door. 
not to like try to wedge it underneath the door handle, but I took a vase and put it on the chair. <laughs> Right on the edge of the chair. So if anyone tries to come in the room, the vase is going to crash and wake me up. But um, so we sleep there. I woke up at one point and felt like something was kind of like pressing in spiritually. And, and, I, and, I, and I just turned that direction and said, get out of here and went back to sleep. But um, next morning we wake up at six o'clock. We're just saying, let's just get out of here after about four hours of sleep. And... Um, so Lori, the last thing Lori was going to do was sign their guest book for that room. And so she's reading it and she says, all these guests had um, paranormal experiences in this room. They're all talking about the ghosts that they saw and the noises that they heard and the really unusual things. And so we're thinking, well, that's why this room is decorated this way. It's, it's designed to attract people who want to, you know, engage in like ghost hunting and stuff like that. And in retrospect, the only thing that we experienced was that there were people in the hallway talking pretty late into the night. And um, the lady had told us that, her, that the people in the lobby were her family because they were having a family wedding and um, that, um, that they were all staying. So I just thought, well, boy, that's unusual that they would put them all the way down here at this end of the hotel. But um, now I wish I had opened the door and seen if there were really people there talking or not. <laughs> because it could have just been demons making noise. I don't know. But um, by the way... Just so you know, uh, we're not like ghost hunters. Don't believe like there are ghosts literally as, as you would find in the world, like people that died and are haunting a place. I do believe that demonic spirits imitate that and make it sound like that. And I do believe that demonic spirits imitate people that uh, we may have lost. And if you go to a seance or something like that, and, and there's some legitimate piece of information that comes from the other side, I don't think you're really hearing from your loved one, but uh, you're, you're hearing from some demonic spirit that is impersonating them. And, and they do that for the sake of confusion and in order to uh, bring confusion into people's minds as far as what really is truth. But, uh, but that, that all aside, that was a, just quite an experience, wasn't it? It was, uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Lori and I just left and we said, well, another chapter in the adventures of Van and Lori. <laughs> and so I'm not going back. And I'm, not, and, I'm not, and I'm not deriding the place either. They were nice people. It was clean and well kept and and the beds were well made and everything like that and they it's advertised as a haunted hotel if this was the thing when we got to north carolina and told our son and daughter-in-law she immediately googled it and it comes up you know pretty fairly near the top of the list in most haunted hotels (laughs) at least in west virginia so that was an experience but you know what uh the son of god came to destroy the works of the devil that's what, that's what you read in 1 John 3, 8. That's why when we entered that room, we could speak with authority. No fear, no anxiety, just authority and say, just get out of here. We need a good night's sleep and we're not going to put up with any distractions from any evil spirits that somehow have a hold on this place. That's because Jesus sent us to destroy the works of the devil. That's what he came to do. He accomplished that at the cross. And then he anointed us with his authority and power. And as sons of God, 
we are able now to enter into his ministry. I don't know if uh, Luke said this last week or not, but one of the things that came to my mind was that um, as I'm thinking about the kingdom, just thinking about different ways to describe our, our role in the kingdom, it's kind of like this. Jesus got a promotion and we got his old job. Okay, think about that. Jesus came here. He, he lived in the power of the Holy Spirit as the Messiah, bringing the kingdom, showing everyone what the kingdom is. And then he died on the cross to establish the kingdom, to defeat the kingdom of darkness and the powers of death, and to release the kingdom of God into the world. And then he said, okay, I've, I've taught you all of this. I've taught you how to do this. Now I'm going back to heaven. You keep doing it. You, you do now what I taught you to do. And so Jesus got a promotion and we got his old job and we step into his authority. And when we walk in his authority, then it impacts like every area of our lives. It impacts our thinking. It impacts our relationship. But I think more than anything else, what we want to focus on right now is it impacts our perspective of life. And this series that we're in right now is called praying from heaven's perspective. And when we begin to pray from heaven's perspective, it's going to have a dramatic impact on the way we pray. It's going to have a dramatic impact on the effectiveness of our prayers. And uh, how many of you were here last week to hear Luke? I listened to his message. That was a powerful message. If you didn't hear it, then I would strongly encourage you to go online, go to our podcasts, and listen to Luke's message from last week, because I think he really nailed it. And he, he, he ended his message with three main points, and, and, and I want to review those with you. He said this, he said, first of all, he said, because the enemy, Satan, has power still on earth, God's will is not always done on earth as it is in heaven. Remember, Jesus told us to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, because of Satan, Satan still has power here, that doesn't always happen. And I would add to that, that it's not just Satan's power, but it is human will. Human will as well, coupled with Satan's power, means that God's will is not always fully accomplished on earth. Now, the second thing he said was, well, related to that, though. Uh, Luke said this, and I liked it. Satan has power, but when he uses it, it's illegal. It's illegal. He has the power, but he's not, it's, he uses it illegally. It's like someone who has a gun, and they carry it into a store and just start shooting into the air. That's an illegal use of power. And so what you and I have is not only power, but authority. See, Satan has no authority. We have authority and power. And that's why it's part of our job is to call him on his illegal use of his power. Call him to account for that. And when we see that happening, we step into it from heaven's perspective. And we say, this isn't right. This is not the Father's will. This is not what God wants to have happen. Stop. Because he's given us authority to do that. And so... Uh, but, but it's a battle, and that, that's the third point here. Uh, but, but the second point Luke's made was the decisive battle has already been fought and won at the cross. So victory has already been won, illustration of World War II. 
landing on D-Day, when we held the beaches on D-Day, everyone that knew anything about anything knew the war is over. It's just a matter of time. But there was still all of this fighting between us landing on the beaches in D-Day and actually the enemy surrendering. And so Jesus on the cross was D-Day. The war is over. The war is won. The battle is won. But we, there's still battles to be fought as we move ahead to the ultimate day of Jesus returning and actually instituting the victory that he won fully on the earth. And so there are battles to be fought. We fight battles. We fight them. How? Well, when we pray from heaven's perspective, we're fighting the battles. When we understand our authority, when we understand who we are in Christ, and we understand that it is a battle, and that everything that we face, is a, there's a spiritual battle involved in it. Now, a, a man named uh, Charles Kraft wrote a wonderful book called, I Give You Authority. If you've never read it, I, 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 boy, my heart's desire would be that everybody in our church has purchased and read and marked and reread the book by Charles Kraft. It's called I Give You Authority. And it's powerful. In one, in one place, he's talking about a person he was ministering to. And in this case, um, a, a demonic presence, a demonic spirit spoke through this person and used, used this person's mouth to speak to Charles Kraft when he was telling it to leave. And the spirit said, who are you? And Kraft responds by saying, who I am is unimportant. He said, you know who Jesus is, don't you? And the demon had to admit yes. And he said, and you have to obey Jesus, don't you? And the demon sheepishly, more, 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 more sheepishly then said yes. And he said, then all you need to know about me is I come with the authority of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you right now, leave. And so it's the authority of Christ that we have that we begin to understand that enables us to fight these battles. But um, the third point Luke made was this at the end of his message. Until Jesus returns and we experience the full victory, we are called to follow Jesus' model of ministry and destroy the works of the devil. All right, when we begin to view life in our prayer life from that angle, then we begin to pray more with greater authority, with greater passion, and therefore with greater power because we're praying more from heaven's perspective. And so Luke ended it by saying this, we know we have heaven's perspective when our prayers look like acts of warfare intended to destroy the works of the devil. Great message. This is just a small part of it. You really need to listen to the whole thing. But another way to put this is this. Praying from heaven's perspective is praying in line with God's will and heart. It's getting in line and in a flow of heaven's perspective, God's will and God's heart. And so the question really then becomes, how do we do this? How do I pray in line with God's will and God's heart? Well, um, to some degree, it is listening for what God wants to do and then taking that back to him and asking for it. But that's just a very simple level of of discerning God's will and heart. In other words, uh, God, what do you want me to do? Today, Do you want me to go to Kroger's or do you want me to um, 
go downtown to the park. I mean, if, if God speaks to you about one of those two things, he might, most of the time when I ask questions like that, God just says, I'll choose. It's up to you. Which do you want to do? But if God does give you specifics, I want you to buy a blue car, not a red car, then you do that. You follow through with that. You start praying for a blue car. But, but as I'm saying, there's a much deeper level to this than that. If you stay at that level, you're staying at the level of a servant. Tell me what to do. Yes, I'll stand here and I won't do anything until you tell me. He wants us to be sons and daughters. And sons and daughters engage in the family business. They don't just stand back and wait for orders. So the deeper level of, of understanding God's will and heart uh, is, is this. It is my mind being renewed with scripture, with truth, so that I begin to think like Jesus. So that I begin to think like Jesus. I think with the mind of Christ. And it's not like I still have my old self and I'm thinking, oh, well, th- this is the way I want to think, but I'm going to think this way with Jesus. As we're growing, we wrestle like that. But the point is, come to the point where Jesus' mind is my mind. And, and that happens through Scripture. But it's not just Scripture in an intellectual sense. It's not just capturing some truths of Scripture and then applying them with, um, you know, just with earthly, with earthly heart values. Uh, th- that's how so many abuses and horrible things are done in the name of God. Someone reads in the Bible that um, that is God's intent for man to marry woman and woman to marry man, not for woman to marry woman or man to marry man. Okay, so they see that. And, and they get that intellectually, but they approach it with the, just, a, nor, with the, just the, a heart of viewpoint just from this life, not from heaven's perspective. And so then they, they make horrible signs and, and, and pick it and say horrible things about people. You see, what we've got to do is not only have truth in our minds, but we've got to, we've got to have it with God's compassion. We've got to have it with God's heart. We've got, to have, we've got to understand what, what God's intent is towards people. When, when God says, this is not what I created you for, he doesn't have a lightning bolt in his hand. He has love in his heart. And there's compassion. And so if we have to be in touch with his compassion, with his heart, in order for our minds to really be renewed. And when they are, then we're going to begin to really see things from heaven's perspective. John Wimber said that when he was the guy that started the vineyard, that when he's praying for someone and, and they're telling him their story before he prays, uh, people asked him, well, what are you doing? Are you saying, oh, God, give me words of knowledge or, or what? And he said, no. He said, what I'm asking is, he said, I'm praying and saying, God, show me your heart for this person. Let me enter into your compassion for this person and your love for this person. And let me see their heart. Let me see the brokenness in their heart right now as they're responding to this difficulty that they're going through and they want prayer with. And he said, when you really capture that, when I capture the heart of God for that person and I begin to see the pain in their heart from his viewpoint and I see their heart pain. Then he said, words of knowledge and prayer ministry flows. But why is that? It's because you're praying from heaven's perspective. 
It's not just a human perspective of, okay, what's the problem? All right, let's see. Maybe this is the root. Maybe that's the root. God, show me the root so I can fix their problem. I mean, that's not bad, but it's not complete. It's not what God has for us in the fullness of praying from his perspective. Does that make sense? Okay. So compassion is um, the Bible. Luke 636 says you must be compassionate as your father is compassionate. So we want to have the same compassion as our father. We're sons and daughters of God. And as that, we want to look like our father. That, that's what his desire is. You know, there's, you know, what's greater than having someone tell you the baby has your eyes? You know, that baby, he looks like you. He has your, your eyes or, or your nose or your mouth. Or, or when they start to grow up and some of the good mannerisms that we pass on. It's always you know, kind of sad when we see some of the bad mannerisms show up. But some of the good mannerisms, you know, that, that your five-year-old, look at him. He's serving other people just like you. He's following in his dad's footsteps. He just care. When you see that, it lights your heart up. And so God wants us to have his compassion. And when we do, then we can see things from his perspective. Do you know, over and over and over again in the Gospels, it says that Jesus felt compassion for people. And it was out of compassion that he healed them, that he fed them, that he raised the dead, that he gave sight to the blind and enabled the lame to walk. It was compassion, and so we, we capture God's heart of compassion, and, and when we do that, th- then we're able to minister in, in real life and, and, and a new sense of power. When I was in Africa in 2013, just as an illustration of how this can go awry, in Africa in 2013 with Robbie Dawkins, we had a service at this outdoor arena, and there were several hundred people there, and we were praying for people afterwards, and there was a woman that was manifesting evil spirits, uh, and she wanted to be freed. She was getting prayer. And one of the guys from our team was praying for her, and he turned to one of the African pastors and said, would you get her a chair? We wanted her to sit down. And do you know what this man said? He said, get a chair for a demon? Never. Now, I, I'm not saying this to, to, to rail on him or be overly critical, but he was locked in this mindset that wasn't, wasn't of God. He, was, he, he couldn't see the person. He couldn't see that this wasn't a demon. This was a human being that was being oppressed by the enemy and desperately needed love and freedom. And, and so we can take truth But if it's not coupled with compassion, it ends up with stuff like that. And so how do I get the compassion? How do I get compassion at heart? Um, How do I get the mind of Christ? And I want to say this. The first thing, uh, foundational thing, really is scripture. I read the Bible. But I read the Bible praying for God to open my eyes to see what he wants me to see. In the Psalms, psalmist in Psalm 119 of verse 18, he said this. He said, open my eyes that I may see wonderful, or that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Open my eyes, my spiritual eyes, the eyes of my mind, the eyes of my heart. God, give me, give me revelation, give me insight to see wonderful things in your law that in law there in that context means in your word 
And so we go to the Bible praying that. We go to the Bible, Holy Spirit, show me something. Give, give, me, a new, give me a new uh, a new ability to understand the depth of this passage. I've been doing this lately in uh, reading through passages that I am so familiar with that I just think, why do I want to read that? I mean, that's my initial kind of gut reaction is I could just about quote it verbatim. I've read it a hundred times. I've preached on it a dozen times. Why do I want to read that passage? And I was doing this through the Gospel of John recently. I've been doing this. And, um, and, and so I'm reading now, and I'm just saying, oh, God, show me something I've never seen before. Give me a deeper insight. Give me a, give me a revelation of what you want to say through this passage. And then I'm taking it through the day. And I'm just praying that through the day. And the next day, if I don't get anything, I go back to the same passage. And the next day, and I'm asking for revelation into it. Now, let me give you this. I'm trying to define revelation. So I'm, I'm going to try to define that um, in juxtaposition to insight, okay? I'm, these are just words I'm using. You could probably argue about the use of the words. And you could, you know, and I, in fact, I just did use insight a moment ago, using it to refer to what I would really call revelation. But if, if I have to define it this carefully, here's what I would say. Insight is when I see a detail in the text that I hadn't seen before that helps me to see the bigger picture of how the text fits together. And it's a detail that anybody could see. Whether you know Jesus or not, if you know the English language, you could read this and you could study it and you could say, oh, okay, I see that detail right there. That's an insight. Sometimes those are just wonderful and they bring joy to our hearts. And, and I had one recently. I was reading through, as I said, first few chapters of John uh, repeatedly. And I recognized this for the first time, that when Jesus turned the water into wine, that was the third day after he called his first apostles that became apostles his first disciples he called two of them on day one the next day he called peter and um and james i think it was nathaniel peter and nathaniel the next day and the third day they go to the wedding feast in Cana and he turns the water into wine so thinking of peter this is just the second day peter has met jesus and they're, they're with Jesus at this wedding, and Jesus does this incredible miracle. And so this is all insight right now. And I thought, well, wait a second, and this is just insight too. If that's the case, then that miracle must really, I mean, that was the foundational teaching they got about leadership and service. And so it must be pretty significant. Okay, that, I would count that all as insight. Now, Revelation, then, I took it to the staff, and in a staff meeting, I laid all of that out, and I said, let's all read this passage, and then in a few moments, I'm going to want to hear what you, what you see because of that. What are the leadership principles that you see in this passage? I had already seen two or three, and in the staff, we came up with like seven or eight deep insights, which what I would call revelation about that passage. One of them was simply honor. The importance of honor. Jesus honored his mother's request, even though he didn't think it was the right time. He says, it's not my time. She says, well, servants just do whatever he says. And, and he honored her request. Another one was compassion. Because it shows us that God cared about something 
what we might consider to be trivial, a young couple, he cared that they not be embarrassed on their wedding day by not having enough refreshments for their guests. So pretty, pretty simple thing that we might think, well, God has bigger issues to worry about, doesn't he? Bigger fish to fry. But God cared about that. And so I would look at those more as like deep insights or what I would call revelation. And that's what we're looking for when we're reading scripture. The insights will open up the text and then the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the text and shows us things that are not actually written in black and white, but inferences we make. And that's what feeds our heart. That's what makes us more like God. When I see that, and I'm reading this, and that the revelation comes that God had compassion on a young newlywed couple, that makes my heart more compassionate. It leaks into my heart, and it makes me more, uh, more what he wants me to be and more like who he himself is. And so, well, an illustration of this, Jesus... Um, By this time, it's in Matthew, uh, we're not going to look it up, but Matthew 16. By this time, Jesus had fed 4,000 people with just a handful of fish and bread, fed 5,000 people with just a few loaves of uh, bread and fish, and the apostles saw that all. So sometime after that, Jesus has this encounter with the Pharisees where they're arguing with him and bickering with him, and then they get in a boat and they're going across the lake, and Jesus says, listen guys, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now leaven was yeast. And yeast is something that you make bread with. But what the, what the principle of yeast is, leaven is, you just put a little bit of leaven in a big lump of dough and it spreads through the whole dough. And it impacts the entire loaf of dough or the entire lump of dough. But the apostles, they're thinking, leaven, bread, oh no, we forgot to bring bread. Jesus is saying that because we forgot to bring bread. And he doesn't want us to buy bread from the Pharisees. I mean, what dummies. Can you believe that? So what's Jesus say to them? He says, you guys are a bunch of dummies. He said, don't you remember when I fed the 5,000? I fed the 4,000. This isn't about provision of bread. What he's saying is heaven has an abundant provision of bread. If you're worried about you didn't bring your bread, don't worry about that. Heaven has this super abundance provision of bread. We're going to eat, guys, okay? That's not the issue. And he goes on to explain to them, he was talking about the influence of the Pharisees on their belief system and their hearts. Don't let their type of thinking bleed into your hearts and into your type of thinking. But they lacked the uh, the revelation the the ability to actually see what Jesus meant there, and so we, we want to pray, Holy Spirit, give us an understanding to see how this applies to our lives, what your word is saying, what it shows me about you, about who you are, and and I challenge you find a, find the most familiar passage. That you, you, you know the very best of anything in the Bible. It might be John 3.16. Maybe you're just starting out, just starting to read the Bible. Well, then take John 3.16. Maybe you've been doing it for years and you've read the whole Bible a dozen times. Find a passage that you think you know so well that there's nothing else you have to learn from it and do this with it. Take it before God and say, God, I'm going to read this and Holy Spirit, show me, let me behold wonderful things from your word.
Show me things that I can't see with my natural mind. And then read it. And then think through it and meditate on it. And carry it with you throughout the day in your mind. Or carry it with you and read it at lunchtime. Read it at night. And and Holy Spirit, reveal more to me. Show me something fresh and new from this passage that only you can show me. I, I, I put that out there to you. Do that this week, okay? And, and just see what God does because that will change your heart. That, then His Word by the power and life of the Spirit will fill your heart. And you'll see things from a different perspective. Now, I'm going to end with this. Um, how heaven's perspective can impact your prayer, all right? Uh, back, back, to the, back to that thought. And um, I was thinking this week of a time years ago when our older sons were in their mid to upper teen years. And um, they were starting to kind of um, do some things that could get them in trouble, uh, moving in the direction we didn't want them to go and getting, getting into trouble at school and stuff like that. And, and as that kind of escalated, my prayer for them was, Oh, God, keep them from getting into any trouble that will ruin their lives. Just keep, keep them from doing anything that would have like having a, a fatal, be involved in a fatal car crash where someone is, is, is killed and you bear that for the rest of your life or, or um, you know, having some other, uh, so, some other thing happen that, that you would live with for the rest of your life. Keep, keep them from that. Protect them from that, oh God. And that was kind of like the limits of my prayer. And I want to say now, I look at that and I think, well, it wasn't a bad thing to pray, but it was far from heaven's perspective. Far from heaven's perspective. Someone told me during that season, the day's going to come when something's going to open up to you and you're going to feel this passion and this strength in your heart and your soul and you're going to pray for them differently. I had no idea what that person meant at the time, but I do now because God showed me. And it was this. His perspective was, I want to know them. I want them to be in love with me. I don't want them just to stay out of trouble. I want them to be mighty men of God that will go out and change the world. I don't want, I don't want them just to marry you know, a, a good girl. I want them, them to marry women that love me so that they can grow up. They can have a home that will be centered on my life. And filled with my life. And so that, they can, so, so that they can not only know me, but they can serve me and have a powerful impact in serving me for the kingdom. That was God's perspective. And his heart was moved. It was compassion. It was love. And so no longer did I pray, oh God, keep them out of trouble. Then, then I started praying, oh God, show them, show them what you have for them for the future. Show them your passion for their hearts. Touch their hearts and give them wisdom to see that they can walk with you and they can experience the fullness of your love and of your joy and of your peace. And Hi, Giff. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Between you, your wife and me. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, buddy, everyone else can hear you. So why don't we just, I'll end right now and then you guys can talk, okay? Why don't you sit down there and I'll, I'll end and then you can talk. Um, 
All right. Jesus is compassionate. Man, just remember that. And and he we we pray at such a low level and we might be passionate in our prayers and 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 we but listen when we get heaven's perspective, we start praying for the things God has for us, then our prayers are not only passionate, they're powerful. And so that that's the point today, all right? So bless you all. Uh we're going to receive the offering right now and um so if the ushers will make their way down, man, I'm just so thankful for the giving of the church. I, you know, I shared at the beginning of the year that this was a year that we had hit the bottom reserve wise and that uh, we really had to make our budget this year. And, uh, and I just, I'm, I just want to say that's where we're at. We're right on that right now. And so that is so awesome. The giving has increased tremendously. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so not only do I sleep better at night, but, um, but it just opens up opportunities for us as a church body. So thank you. Keep it up, all right? Blessings on you. Yeah, Father, I just pray blessings on, on every home and family in this church. And help us all to learn more and more and more the joy of giving. Just the joy of sowing into your kingdom and the joy of sowing to the point that it's just, that almost hurts, but just to, the joy that comes from that. Just bless us all with that. And I pray for bl- the blessing of uh, new jobs. I pray for the blessing of promotions. I pray for the blessing of uh, power in the workplace, Holy Spirit, life and power to bless the relationships there and to advance your kingdom there. And, and, and just to bless all of these homes with ample provision as we all press into more and more of heaven's perspective on life. In Jesus' name, amen.